Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. My name's DJ, I'm one of your hosts, and thanks for joining me back at the canteen. This is one of our regular segments where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. This week, we continued on in our study of the Gospel of Luke, looking at the life of Jesus, and this week we were reminded from Luke chapter 5 of the transforming power that Jesus has. And just as we see him changing lives then, we realize he is still doing the same thing today. So let's listen in to Pastor Blake as he shows us that transformative power in this week's message. How we treat our enemies often affirms who we really are. How we treat our enemies often affirms who we really are. We, we start with that idea this morning because Luke, as he writes this gospel to us, is about to introduce us to some of Jesus's enemies. But more than that, right, because he's writing to Theophilus that we would be certain about Christ, he's going to solidify Jesus' character by the way that Jesus responds to them. And he's going to do that by, by circling back to some healings that Jesus did. Now, you may remember from a couple of weeks, weeks ago, Jesus has the power to heal your pain. We saw him do some incredible healings, miraculous things, the God of miracles. And so the question becomes, well, why does Luke circle back and tell us more of these stories? Like, what's different now than what we read in chapter 4? How will telling more of these stories make us more certain about Christ? Well, thanks to Jeff Bracken's message last week, we now know that Simon and some others are following Jesus. They've given up their current life to become Jesus' disciples. And as Luke tells this next round of, of healing stories, we need to be mindful that those disciples are with him. It was John Maxwell who said, we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. That's why you hear these guys up here talking about uh, part of what was meaningful was the, the shared lives, the time together. And so it's important to note that Jesus isn't trying to teach the disciples how to heal people. He's teaching them how to love their enemies. Because not only are the disciples now following him, but so too are the Pharisees. These Pharisees are, are important to note. Uh, they were first threatened by Jesus. And, and of course, we know by the end that they were his enemies that would ensure that he was taken to the cross. So the way that Jesus treats them is, is going to become even more proof to Theophilus, this guy that Luke is writing to, and to us, that Jesus really was who he said he was, the Son of God, able to forgive sins, to heal people's pain, and love his enemies well. That's the context as we open up God's Word to Luke chapter 5, verse 12 and following. I'm going to ask if you would, we don't always do this, but let's stand in honor of the reading of God's word today. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man was there who had leprosy all over him. He saw Jesus, fell face down, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing you can make me clean. And so reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him saying, I'm willing, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. 
Then Jesus ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And yet Jesus often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. On one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem, and the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then, some men came, carrying on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins... He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen incredible things today. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. And then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. But the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus call us today. Remind us of our sin and call us to repent through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all can be seated. We are often more like Christ's enemies than we would want to admit. We struggle to read ourselves into that part of the story, but I want us to consider how these enemies, these Pharisees, are characterized in these accounts And while we recognize that, we may see that we're a lot like them. First, we struggle to trust like the Pharisees did. We struggle to trust. In the first story, Jesus has healed a man with this infectious skin disease. But after doing so, he he tells the man in verse 14, Go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. We're going to talk about this a little bit more later, but for now, I want us to think, why would he do this? Why would Jesus tell the man to go and show himself to the priest? Because Jesus knew, right, that that the Pharisees, that these leaders would struggle to trust the validity of this healing unless the man went through the the religious process that they followed. In other words, they would want this guy to to prove it. In the second account, they, they struggled to trust as well. The Pharisees are in the room, and Jesus calls out their thoughts directly. Verse 21 says, right, the the scribes and the Pharisees began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
but perceiving their thoughts, right? Jesus knew. The Pharisees struggled to trust. They struggled to trust, and, and so, so do we. Back in 1975, there was a guy named Roger Hart, and he conducted a study on uh, where children felt safe to play. He focused on uh, 86 children between the ages of 3 to 12 in a small town in Vermont. This guy, I mean, he, he, he probably had a badge that said creeper, right? Like, so he's following around these children, this small town in Vermont. He would follow the kids throughout the day, documenting everywhere the children went by themselves. And then he then took that information and he made physical maps that measured the distance each child was allowed to go by themselves and what the average was for every age group. You couldn't do this study today, I don't think. I'm not. But Hart discovered that these kids had remarkable freedom. Even, even four or five-year-olds, he said, would travel unsupervised throughout their neighborhoods. By the time they were 10, most of the kids had the run of the entire town. And the kids' parents weren't worried about it either. Forty years later, Roger Hart went back to the same town to document the children of the children that he had originally tracked in the 70s. And when he asked this new generation of kids to show him where they played alone, what he found floored him. Because what happened, he said, they just didn't have very far to take me. He said, we would walk around the line of their property. And in other words, the huge circle of freedom on the maps had grown really, really small. Hart added in his report, he said, there's no free range outdoors. Even when the kids are older, parents now say, I need to know where you are at all times. That ever come out of your mouth? I need to know where you are at all times. He said, but what's odd about all this is that the town is not more dangerous than it was before. The crime rates at the town were the same as they were 40 years prior. And so the question was asked, right, why has this invisible leash between parent and child tightened so much? And the teens in the room are like, yes, tell us. I want some more freedom, right? And he said, it was absolutely clear from his interviews the reason was fear. Fear of the world outside outdoors narrows the circle of our lives. More fear causes less trust. What does this mean for us? What did it mean for the Pharisees? You and I, we, we struggle with trust because a lack of trust is the way we hide our fear. We hide our fear behind less and less trust. And, and while it may flesh out that way with our kids or grandkids, the issue that we want to press into today is our lack of trust in Christ. What fear is our lack of trust in Christ hiding? What is it that you and I are afraid Christ can't do for us? Are we afraid of the consequences of our sin? I mean, even if they're forgiven, right, the, the consequences can still be felt. And so, you know, we just don't trust Christ quite enough to confess our sins to him. Maybe we're afraid to, to let our weaknesses and our, and our pain show to be vulnerable, as we heard this morning, because it might hurt to expose those things. It shows that we don't really trust that Christ's power actually shines through our weakness. Like we would say that and maybe even point to the Bible verse, but we don't really trust that to be true. We're afraid that what's in our past can't, can't truly be forgiven. And so we don't trust Christ to, to do anything with our future. We just hold things close and depend on ourselves. 
Maybe we're afraid that Christ is going to ask us to do more. He's going to ask more from us than what we think we are willing to give. And so instead of choosing to trust Christ, we, we trust ourselves. We, we really like the idea of Jesus here in middle-class evangelical America. He's a great idea, but we really struggle to fully trust him, to really, really trust him. We trust him just enough to hide our fears. And the problem with that is that this lack of trust creates this, this divide between you and Jesus because he wants all of you. And eventually, that lack of trust between you and Jesus begins to agitate that relationship, causes anger, complaining, smoldering to stir up. In the third passage, this third story that we read about in Luke's gospel, Jesus invites Levi, a tax collector, to follow him. And Levi, right, he's so overwhelmed by the love of Christ that he throws a party to celebrate Jesus. And he invites all of his sinner friends. Verse 30 shows us the Pharisees' response when this happens. It says, but the Pharisees and their scribes were, what's that word? Complaining. Complaining to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? When you look at this word complaining, it, it, in the Greek it paints this image of a smoldering fire. Hot coals that are producing smoke, but the fire isn't coming out. It's literally to be burning up on the inside. And why? Why were these Pharisees burning up on the inside? It's because Jesus is hanging out with sinners instead of with them. What caused that? This lack of trust. We struggle to trust Jesus just like the Pharisees did. And when that happens, eventually we begin to smolder because we feel like Jesus isn't giving us his attention, just like the Pharisees did. It begins to come out in thoughts and phrases like, God, man, how come you bless that person and not me? How come those guys got to be in an awesome D group? I'm ready for mine, right? God, how come it seems like they've always got something good happening in their life? God, how come you haven't fixed my problems yet? Like, if you are real, God, if I could trust you, these things would be fixed. I want to ask you a piercing question. Why did you come here today? Why did you come here today? Did you come because you want more of God for yourself? Or did you come today because you want to give your whole self to God? You see, there's this there's this divide that's happening in our hearts when we struggle to trust Christ. It's what we see in the Pharisees, and it's what we see in us. We smolder when we feel like Jesus isn't giving us his attention, just like the Pharisees did. You see, we're often more like Christ's enemies than we would want to admit. But y'all, this passage, this section of Scripture that Luke writes, has some incredible good news. Jesus has everything you need to turn your life around. He gives you everything you need to turn your life around. In response to this, this smoldering, Jesus comes to these guys, right? In verses 31 and 32, it says, Jesus replied to them, it's not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He's essentially saying to these enemies of his, if you think you're good, you don't need me. 
And that has huge implications because Jesus explains that the people he's calling, the ones that he's drawing to himself, the ones he's spending time with are the sick sinners. Why them? Because they recognize, because they admit their need for a savior. And notice too what he calls these sick sinners like you and me too. Repentance. Repentance. Romans 5.10 is a powerful picture of this. Paul writes, For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? That's good news. And so Luke has used these three stories in this passage to demonstrate that even though you have, your sin has made you an enemy of God, Right? Even though that the sin that you allow to exist makes it hard to trust Jesus, causes you to smolder at him sometimes, even though the sin in you has made you rotten and you feel like there's no hope, Jesus has everything you need to turn your life around and to make you a friend as long as you're breathing. It doesn't matter how terrible your situation is, how terrible your situation has been, Jesus has everything you need to turn your life around. What does it look like to turn our lives around? What does it look like to, to get out of this rut? How do I come to Jesus? How, how do I repent? Like if Jesus is coming to call sick people to repent and I can see the sickness that still exists in me, how do I repent? How do I turn things around? How do I become this, this person who is walking with Christ? And that's exactly what these three stories in Luke chapter 5 are meant to do, to give us pictures, pictures of repentance. In these three pictures of repentance, I want to encourage each of us today to find yourself in these pictures. To find yourself in these pictures. Where is it that God is giving you something that you have not yet responded to? Let's jump into the first one. In this first picture of repentance, Jesus gives you faith. And the encouragement is to sacrifice yourself. Jesus gives you faith, so sacrifice yourself yourself. This leprous man falls face down at the feet of Jesus and begs him to cleanse him. He's asking for something impossible, you see. Why would he even ask that? This, this isn't supposed to be able to be done. Why would he ask to be cleansed? Because he believed that if Jesus was willing, Jesus could do it. But I need to ask a deeper question. Where does this man's ability to believe that come from? How does he have the ability to believe the impossible? You see, being a leper meant that he was exiled from his community. People, including religious leaders, wouldn't have come near him. So he certainly had no faith in mankind. They were nowhere around in his time of need. It wasn't them that was giving him the power to believe. Maybe he just really believed in himself. No, because if that were true... He could have already worked hard enough to cleanse himself. He's coming desperate. You see, this man's only hope at believing was if the God-man who stood before him gave him the ability to believe. Jesus gives you faith. Even the ability to trust Christ is a gift from Christ. Jesus has everything, including faith, that you need to turn your life around. So when Jesus heals this man because of the faith that he had already given to him, he then tells him to do something in response. Go and show yourself to the priest. 
and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. You know what we don't ever talk about? Just how great that sacrifice was. In Leviticus 14, you can read all about the sacrifice that was expected of someone who had been cleansed of leprosy. It's a really interesting process, needless to say, right? We could go down a deep dive. We're not going to do that. But for now, I want you to listen into verse 10 about what the cleansed person was expected to bring to the priest. On the eighth day, so a week after he's been cleansed, he must take two unblemished male lambs, an unblemished year-old ewe lamb, a grain offering of six quarts of fine flour mixed with olive oil, and one-third of a quart of olive oil. That's a lot. And if you haven't bought a sheep recently, three is expensive. And this guy's been exiled from his community. He's not been going to work. He's on COVID protocols, right? Like, he doesn't just have this to pull out of his back pocket. This is a huge sacrifice to be reinstated back into the community. So we ask, was the sacrifice this? Was this, was this the, the cost of Jesus healing him? No, not at all. Jesus had already paid this price. This was a worship-filled response. Jesus has given you faith. So sacrifice yourself. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, because of how Jesus has come to you, shown you mercy, because you are a wretched sinner, sick with sin, in view of those mercies, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true Worship. Jesus gives you faith, so sacrifice yourself. Put your faith that he's given to you back in him. You say, well, what does that mean, Blake? I'm not even sure I know the parts of me that I haven't given to him. Like, well, how do I? You often realize what you need to let go of when you begin to think about what you could never give up. Unless we test him, there is nothing that he won't ask of us. He wants it all. He is jealous for you. It doesn't mean that he takes it every time, but he wants us to willingly lay everything about who we are and what we have on the altar of sacrifice to the one who has given us faith and saved us by that faith. Martin Luther once said, God created the world out of nothing. And as long as we are nothing, he can make something out of us. Jesus gives us faith. So sacrifice yourself. That's a one picture of repentance. But there's another. Jesus also gives you forgiveness. So carry your stretcher. Carry your stretcher. Now we don't know this to be true. It's not in the text. So hear me say that from the beginning. But I can't help but wonder if the testimony of this cleansing that had happened when he went and he made this sacrifice caused what happens next. Jesus is teaching, and it says that, that there were Pharisees coming from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. The big boys are coming in to hear Jesus, and I can't help but wonder if it wasn't the testimony of this guy who had been cleansed and then actually made the sacrifice for the cleansing. They're thinking, this is strange. This is different. I want to go hear from Jesus. Either way, 
It says the power was in Jesus to heal, and they begin to happen. And so this little house is, is packed to the max, and some friends desperate to get their friend to Jesus carry their friend up on the roof, dig through the roof, and lower him down on a stretcher right in the middle of everything. I didn't used to, you know, like there's all kinds of things about what this was like or maybe how to experience this. If you come to community group, in my community group, when it's at my house, and you hear the kids playing upstairs, I think you know what this is like. So at some point, it's inevitable that throughout the night at community group, the kids are playing upstairs, somebody falls, something gets dropped, and you think they're coming right into the middle of the room. I mean, it is loud, it is a big boom, and like, here he comes, right? Right through the roof. He's lowered into the room. There's no doubt that all eyes and ears are on what Jesus does or says next. Verse 20 says, Seeing their faith... Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus sees faith in Christ, his next gift is forgiveness in Christ. Just as Jesus gives you faith, he also gives you forgiveness. And you need that to turn your life around. It's part of the equation. Otherwise, you end up stuck in your past. But the Pharisees are having a mental meltdown, right? Everything is going crazy inside there. Only God can forgive sin. And there's a lot of sacrifices that have to be made, even if he's forgiven them. Who does this guy think he is? Jesus' response doesn't need my help in this question. Let's just read it again, starting in verse 22. Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Get up, take your stretcher, and go home. Get up. Well, that makes sense, right? It's the same word we talked about a couple weeks ago, to, to be resurrected, have new life, get up physically too, like rise up, be made new, go home. That also makes sense, right? Like you're healed, you don't need to be here anymore. You're like you can, you can go to your home. But take your stretcher? Why would he do that? Why would this be the encouragement of Christ? Can you imagine this guy walking around town toting his stretcher? What a gift! If you've ever been in a walking boot or on crutches or on a little wheelie cart, the moment the doctor says, you don't need that anymore, you're like, do you want it? I'll sell it to you real cheap, right? Like, you don't want to carry that thing anymore. I thought about bringing some of mine. It was just too painful. Why do we do this? For that man, everywhere he went with that stretcher would have been a reminder to him of the forgiveness and healing that he received from Christ. Let me ask you, what would you carry around? What is it that reminds you of the forgiveness that Jesus gives to you? What is it that reminds you of the sin that Jesus has freed you from? Jesus gives you forgiveness. So carry your stretcher. Remember your forgiveness when you're tempted to be consumed by shame. 
Remember your forgiveness when you're tempted to return to the same old sin again and again and again. Remember your forgiveness when the world asks if Jesus is worth it. Remember your forgiveness when the world questions if your faith is real. Carry your stretcher. Remember your forgiveness. Jesus gives you faith. Jesus gives you forgiveness. Lastly, this third picture, Jesus gives you someone worth following. So celebrate Jesus with all your worth. After Jesus does this, right, he, he heals this man, he walks out with a stretcher, he makes his way over to the tax office, and he tells this guy named Levi to follow him. And so Levi gets up, there's that resurrection word again. Dr. Luke really likes this idea of, of dead things being brought to life. And he leaves everything. All the tax money that he's accounted for and that he has to be accountable for. He leaves his career. Perhaps he's even leaving behind his own personal safety, knowing that the Romans could come after him for abandoning his post. He leaves that all behind and he follows Jesus. Folks, you don't leave things like that behind if you don't have faith given to you by Christ. You don't leave things behind if you don't know that you've been forgiven by God. And you don't do that unless the person who says to you, follow me, is worth following. And then Levi, knowing that all those things are true in his situation, demonstrates a principle that is true. What you celebrate is what gets repeated. So Levi throws a party to celebrate Jesus. He celebrates him. He wants the gifts of Jesus to be repeated and multiplied in his life. So he celebrates him. He wants to continue to have Jesus increase his faith. He wants to continue to be forgiven by Christ. He wants to be continually invited to follow him even deeper and deeper, to join him in going out to make disciples again and again and again. He wants to continue to see the goodness of God in his life. So he celebrates Christ. He celebrates Christ. Y'all, Jesus has given you someone worth following. He's given you himself. So celebrate Jesus with all your worth. There are lots of ways to celebrate him. The first and the foremost is to get baptized, to proclaim to all who would see and hear that Jesus has given you faith and he's forgiven you and he's called you to follow him towards a new kingdom that is coming. Celebrate him in baptism. Celebrate him by buying a birthday cake on your baptism birthday every year. How fun would that be? It's another reason to have cake. And it's another reason to celebrate Jesus. What if you celebrated Jesus by taking a day off work just to celebrate him? You just get out of your routine and your flow. And that day, it's like, man, I'm spending more time with Jesus this morning. Maybe I'm going to go to Kroger on Lantern Drive, and I'm just going to find four people to encourage. I'm going to take a day off to celebrate what Jesus has done. Celebrate Jesus. Create something if you're artsy. Create something that celebrates Jesus that you can hang in your home or give to someone. Sing. Celebrate by singing. Celebrate good times. Come on. <laughs> I was on the fly. I didn't, even, I didn't even plan on that one, right? But sing. Sing here with us. Make, us, uh, make a, a playlist 
of songs that you just that are heart songs you love to sing. Celebrate Jesus because what's celebrated gets repeated. And certainly, man, we want the faith and the forgiveness. We want to be, keep following Christ with everything we have. So celebrate what he's doing and what he's done in your life. Those are three pictures of repentance. You see, Luke put these stories together for a reason. Because he wanted to remind us that he wasn't the greatest doctor. Jesus was. And he was calling sick sinners to repentance. Which picture of repentance do you find yourself in today? Is Jesus giving you faith? If so, sacrifice yourself. Put it all on the line. Lay everything down and say, I trust you completely, Jesus. Is he giving you forgiveness? For the first time, maybe a long time, he's washing forgiveness over something in your life that you've struggled to let go of, a burden that you've carried for far too long. And if that's true, carry your stretcher. Be reminded of the forgiveness that you have in Christ. Tell your story when somebody says, why in the world are you still carrying that old thing? Maybe today Jesus is inviting you to follow him. Like, enough sitting in the chairs. Come on. We're going on mission. And if that's you today, man, just celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life, even if you don't know what's next. As the band comes and as we move towards a time of of action and response, maybe you're still struggling. Like, Blake, I hear you. I, I kind of understand what you're saying, but I have no clue what Jesus wants me to do right now. Well, let me encourage you to do what Jesus did. Because right here in the middle of all this action and all this healing and all this really good stuff as he's loving his enemies, the Pharisees, verse 16 says this. Yet Jesus often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. Right there in the middle of all the action, right before his enemies are going to come on the scene, while people are clamoring for him and asking things from him, he gets away and he has a prayerful conversation with his Father in heaven. And the leprous man wouldn't have known to go to the priest. The paralytic wouldn't have carried his stretcher. Levi wouldn't have thrown the party without a personal conversation with Jesus Christ. Jesus encouraging them to do so because of the gifts that he had given to them. And so here in just a minute, as the the band starts to play and we respond, we're, we're going to invite you to have one of those intimate, personal conversations with Christ. To withdraw, to pray. Have a personal, prayerful, and powerful conversation with him. Run to him. Run to him in this moment. Why would you run to him? Because he has everything you need to turn your life around. Wherever you are, whatever your circumstance, whatever next step you're getting ready to take, he has the faith and the forgiveness and the leadership that you need to do so. And as you have that conversation, I would encourage you to admit to him that you've been a sinner to confess those sins to him and to recognize that, Jesus, I know that the sin in me makes me an enemy of you. 
but you love me anyway. It's a burden that we all carry around too much instead of trusting him. So confess. Confess that you need him to turn your life around. Your prayer alone in this moment will express a level of faith in Jesus that he is giving to you. And when you admit your sin to him, he's going to remind you of what he said to the paralytic. Friend, your sins are forgiven. They're forgiven. And as his grace and mercy wash over you, listen, listen to him. Because the invitation that he gives to all of his children is follow me, follow me. Jesus has everything you need to turn your life around. Run to him today, sacrificing yourself, carrying your stretcher, and celebrating all that he has done. Today, if you're a baptized believer, you know, you know that Jesus can be trusted. You know that. Celebrate him. Celebrate him by coming to the communion table. You make your way to the outside, take the bread and the juice, And as you do that, you're proclaiming to everyone who sees you take that, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I trust him with everything that I have. Maybe today you've never given your whole self to Jesus. Maybe you've sat in these chairs for a long time, but you've never really been all in. You've never really shared that with others through baptism. And don't wait anymore. Give yourself to him wholeheartedly. He can be trusted. He is a doctor for the sick. If you need to be all in with Jesus, if you need to respond and make a decision today, Kenny's already back there. You can go right now. And you can go while we sing. And you can go after we sing. And you can come on Tuesday. We're going to make Kenny stay there. (laughs) But don't wait. Jesus can be trusted with your whole life. He wants to walk with you to invite you to follow him and celebrate what he's doing in your life. Run to the Father. Run to him in this moment. And after we do that, man, let's all lift our voices together in celebration of what Jesus is doing. Would you stand with me as we pray? Holy Spirit, We welcome you in this place. We we know you're already here and in control. We pray that you would give us faith in this moment. We pray that you would be a minister of truth through your word in this moment. That you would remind us of the forgiveness we have and help us to celebrate it well. Spirit, for those that you're calling to follow Jesus, for those that you are ministering to and reminding of the healing and grace and mercy of God, I pray that you would, in the same breath, give them the courage to act on that, to trust you, to give their whole selves to you. Help us, Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, We hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in an experienced Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack, and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.